Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Romans chapter 7. We are actually finishing up the rest of chapter 7. Um, We started chapter 7 last week, and we read verses 1 through 13. Um, And uh, actually, no, we went through verses 1 through 6 last week. And if you remember last week, we talked about... um, We talked about dying to the law and marrying Jesus. And uh, we've been, I'm really proud of this church, guys. I'm really proud of you. I'm going to tell you why I'm really proud of you. I'm going to say it again somewhere in my message, but it just kind of popped up in my mind. I'm really proud of you because we have been viciously and boldly attacking sin for about the last four weeks now. I'm proud of y'all because um, a lot of times when you boldly and viciously attack sin, it is not the kind of message that really um, feels like you want to be a part of because our human nature wants to resist that. But I'm so proud of you because not only have we been boldly and viciously attacking sin for the last several weeks, but our, our, our attendance numbers have been higher than any January we've ever had and any February we ever had. So it means y'all like, y'all like talking about sin in your life. So we might just have to do a whole sermon series on sin. I know Theology Copy two years ago, we did a, a study on hell and we, got, we broke the record. We had like over like 120 people on a week. I was like, okay, hell and sin. I guess this congregation likes that. Um, anyway. But I just want to say I'm very proud of you. And that one thing here, if you're new this morning or if you're just kind of searching, um, the gospel is central at this church. Um, um, The gifts of the spirit are beautiful. Signs, wonders, and miracles are beautiful. There are all these other elements that are beautiful. But at this church, we will always go back to the gospel. Because by the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, by that beautiful story, We are not only saved, but we are matured and we are sanctified. We grow in holiness. And so we will never move beyond the gospel. And so if you're looking for another message, a newer message, you're not going to find it here at Inspire Church. Um, We are always going back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why I've loved this whole series of Romans, because it has broke that gospel down in such an intricate way. And the Apostle Paul does a masterful job in this letter. And so with that being said, um, let's go to Romans chapter 7, verse 7. And we're going to read a a handful of verses, more than we typically, well, more than we have been in the last couple of weeks. Um, But Romans chapter 7, verse 7, and we're going to read all the way to 25. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go there. If you have your Bible apps, open them up. We'll also have them here for you on the screen. But I would love for you to follow along if you can. Romans chapter 7, 7 through 25. I do have to send a shout out to my Auntie Jeannie and my Uncle Ron. I love you guys so much. Thank you for being here today. and Just uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, man and woman of God. And so love you guys a lot. And just, I saw my, I saw my uncle Auntie here, so I just had to make sure I send you guys some love. Love you guys. Yeah, love you all a lot. Chapter 7, um, verse 7 through 25. The Apostle Paul writes this. What then shall we say? The law, that the law is sin. So again, we're focusing on the law of God. The Apostle Paul is answering objections about the law of God. So Apostle Paul says, what then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, 
I would have not known sin. For I would not have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh sold under sin. And I'm going to pause real quick. I love this part of Romans. Paul begins to give his testimony here. I love this part. In fact, maybe one of my favorite sections in all of scripture. I'm going to tell you why. He says this, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That's a lot. It's a lot to unpack there. I'm going to do my best to unpack this for you, and hopefully by the time you leave here today, you'll have a greater understanding. For the last couple of weeks, we have been ferociously attacking sin, uh, and uh, Paul has been answering a set of, Paul has been answering a set of um, objections to the gospel. Paul says, when you have placed your faith in Christ, by faith alone, in Christ alone, says Christ has given you his righteousness, and he, he says this, and so therefore, those who are in Christ, you are no longer under the law you're no longer bound to the law you're free from the law and so all of a sudden there are some people that are saying well then what are you saying is the law bad are you saying we shouldn't obey the law are you saying that we can sin all the more like in fact some people even said Rasputin who was a a, 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 um, who was a spiritual advisor to the Romanovs in the late 19 or uh, early uh, I want to say early late 1800s early 1900s what he would say is this he had a whole doctrine around this Rasputin said sin is much 
as you can because the more you sin the more glory you give to God but Paul is saying by no means like we're dead to the law in Christ we're freed from the law in Christ but that doesn't mean that the law is a bad thing and so now Paul is saying well let me tell you that the law is actually good and why it is good and so if the law cannot save us you can't be saved by the law if the law can't save us and if the law can't make us holy then what good is the law to the believer and how can the law help the believer look more like Jesus Paul answers these questions in three ways and that's how we're going to break down today's sermon um, in three ways number one the law reveals the depths of our sin so how does the law help the believer number one the law reveals the depths of our sin number two the law reveals the goodness of God and finally number three the law reveals the reality of our struggle in fact I'm titling the message today the struggle is real because it really is amen to that well let's talk about this number one the law reveals the depths of our sin the depths of our sin look if we're going to love Jesus and if we're going to make room for his glorious gospel on the throne of our hearts then we're going to have to grow into a deeper awareness of our sin so that we might expose it and deal with it a lot of times we want to skip over our sin and get to the good news but going back to the very beginning of Romans if you were here you remember you can't appreciate the good news until you understand how bad the bad news is and so if you're going to make room for this beautiful gospel then you're going to have to grow into deeper awareness of our sin so that you might expose it and deal with it Paul says this if it had not been for the law I would have not, and he uses the word known, sin. You see, we can't deal with what we're not aware of. We can't deal with what we're not aware of. And in many ways, sin is like an iceberg. Y'all know that iceberg illustration, don't you? 90% of an iceberg's mass is hidden beneath the surface. And the 10% that we do see is literally only the tip of the iceberg. And that's where we get that phrase, the tip of the iceberg. In fact, if you look up here, you'll, you'll see what you see on top is a hill. And you're like, well, that's pretty formidable. But what you see underneath is a mountain. And so sin is like an iceberg. Now, I want you for a minute just to imagine sin. Uh, this isn't theological. Just for the sake of this illustration, I want you to imagine sin having three levels of depth to it, okay? Imagine your sin having three levels of depth to it, okay? So you have what is above the surface, you have what is below the surface, and then you have the bottom. So above, below, and bottom. So imagine your sin in that way. Now, let's talk about what is above. You see, what is above is where everything can be easily seen you can see what is above the surface it's clear and here's this is how we typically define sin don't we we define sin uh, based on the attitudes we've had the words we've said or the things that we've done in fact if I were to say to you in this room right now think about what sin you've committed this week many of us will go directly to actions and attitudes and words because those are the things that are easily visibly seen and picked out and we think this way because the external world those are always the easiest things to find 
But let me just say this. There are many, and maybe some of you in this room, maybe you're not a follower of Christ in this room, but you have the same general awareness of good and bad, right? Like all of us in here carry some kind of morality in this room. Everyone in this room, whether you're a believer or you're not, whether you're a casual observer or you're a staunch Christian, wherever you find everyone in this room has a set of things inside of your heart that you would consider right and wrong. And so to a degree, everyone has a general awareness of some external things that we should and shouldn't do. External behaviors are really just the tip of the iceberg, though. When it comes to sin, external behaviors are just the tip of the iceberg. Now, listen, number two, as we mature in Christ, we learn to look beyond the externals and into the interior, interior world where we realize that what is above is actually directly related to something that's underneath. And so what is above is directly related to what is below. And so remember, think of sin in three levels. What's above, what's visible, what is uh, external, what is clearly seen, and then what is right below that's clearly connected to it. But you have to dig a little bit deeper. Here... In the below world, we don't just deal with behaviors, but we address motives. Here, we make the connection between attitudes, actions, and words to what thoughts, beliefs, and desires. And so what I think and what I believe and what I desire will then push into what I do, what I say. Now, it's at this level where Paul says we now see the law becoming a tutor. It's at this level where the law is becoming a tutor. In fact, this is why Paul specifically chose the 10th commandment, right? Out of all the commandments, he said, I wouldn't even have known coveting was a sin, right? Why did he pick? Was that just a random commandment? Why is Paul picking thou shall or you shall not covet? Well, I'll tell you why. Because most people think of commandments as a list of external do's and don'ts. Most people think of commandments as a list of external do's and don'ts. But to covet is to desire, right? Covet just means to have a desire. And so when Paul, when God says thou shalt not covet, he says don't have wrong desires. So to covet is to desire. And to desire is a strong urge that comes from the interior, from the inside. Paul is saying if it were not for the law, I wouldn't have known that even my desires are sinful. Right? If it wasn't for the law telling me that there's something underneath the surface, I would have said, okay, well, my externals, there's something wrong with that. But I wouldn't know to look at something deeper. There's a motive pushing this thing to the surface. And so what are the motives? And so if it wasn't for the law, I would have known that even my desires are contaminated by sin. Paul is saying if it weren't for the law, I wouldn't have known that even my desires are sinful and that the rabbit trail of sin goes a lot further and a lot deeper than I could imagine. And so there is above, there is below, but there's also this bottom floor, right? This bedrock place. So we get to the bottom. And I think, to be honest, this particular understanding of sin is probably one of the most overrated. Um, I'm sorry, underrated. One of the most underrated doctrines about sin. But I believe it could be one of the most encouraging 
You see, like an iceberg, at this level, things are really deep, things are really wide, and things are just completely hidden. And in verse 8, Paul tells us, he says this, he says something interesting. He says, sin, and then here's the key word, sin produced in me covetousness, like more covetousness. Sin, and the key word is produced in me covetousness. So there's something else, something even deeper that is controlling and manipulating even my desires, right? And so we have my actions and my behaviors, and then we have my motives and my desires. But Paul's saying there's something even below my motives. There's something even below my desires. And so you're just moving deeper and finding how pervasive sin is. He says there's something even at the bedrock level that is even influencing why do I have these desires? Where are the motives coming? from so here's the question what is that how would you describe that well it's been called depravity it's been called fallenness you've heard me talk about this your fallen nature right or it's been called alienation from God it's that sinful condition that has affected us all through the fall of man And it's always been there. It's always been there. But Paul says it was dead until the law came. And what he means by dead is it was just dormant. It was there, but it was dormant before the law came. The law just gave it an opportunity to expose itself. Right? Remember I told you whenever the law says thou shalt not, you're like, well, yes, I will. Right? Yes, I will. Some of us in here, when it comes to the law of God, if the law is given, we despise it so much, we reject it so much that we want to do the opposite of it. There's just this inner rebelliousness, and I shouldn't say some of us, all of us in this room, that when someone says don't, you automatically say yes. (laughs) And so there's this third level. That's depravity, fallenness, corruption, sinful condition, and it has affected us all. And the law just gave it an opportunity to expose itself. It said, ah, a law, I'll break it. In the same way, now listen, in the same way that nobody despises an x-ray for discovering disease, a Christian should not despise the law of God for exposing the depraved condition of our hearts. Thank you for the law. Thank you for this beautiful law. Although through it I am condemned, although through it I am exposed, although through it I am uncomfortable, although through it I realize how far I am from the Lord, thank you for it because if it were not, I would have not understood just how deep this rabbit trail of sin goes. So we love the law. We love to gaze into the mirror of truth and see our need for a savior. And I've said this a few times, but there's nobody in this room that hates a mirror. Well, maybe, <laughs> but for the most part, every day we look in the mirror. Why? Because the mirror has the ability to show us what's out of place. Like God forbid we walk into church and we hadn't looked in the mirror. <laughs> For some of you, y'all really feel me because you walk in the mirror several times. You ever do like the triple check? Like you already looked, then you just went somewhere and then you went back to look again. Like you're, that's when you know you're into yourself, right? 
Some of you are like, well, how do you know that? I kind of do that sometimes. <laughs> but we thank the Lord for the mirror, the mirror of his word in Christ. Ready? The law. This is powerful. If you get this, because a lot of us really don't understand this. In Christ, the law no longer condemns me, but invites me. It invites me to expose my sin and to find my righteousness outside of myself, but in Jesus. Are you with me? And so the, Paul says, I thank God for the law. I, I don't think that the law is evil because the law reveals how deep my sin is, the depths of my sin. That's number one. Number two, he also tells us that the law reveals the goodness of God. Yeah. It reveals the goodness of God. What do I mean by that? You see, throughout this text, Paul has called the law holy. He's called the law righteous. He's called the law good. He's, gonna, he's called the law spiritual. Well, how can the law be called all these things? Because the law is a reflection of who God is. Did you know? The law that God gives is a, a reflection of who he is. They're the characteristics of God. The attributes of God. Now let me ask you a question. Uh, how does the unbelieving world define morality? Where do they go to get their morality? Right? And, there, and there are philosophical ways and ideologies we can break down, and, 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 and we don't have time for that right now. But I'm just going to give you just a couple of basic understandings. Some just follow the crowd. Like, where do you go to get your morality? Well, everyone is doing it. Right? Everybody is doing it. Majority world rules. Might is right. So basically, whoever has the greater number has the greater power. But this kind of mentality will ultimately exploit the weak and abuse the minority. And so everybody is doing it. It's not a great way to determine and decide what is right. Another way some people say is, I just do what makes me feel good. That's your morality. That's your standard of living. That's how you make your day-to-day decisions. Whatever makes me feel good. Whatever makes me feel happy. Whatever satisfies me. And whatever that is, I do it. And guess what? I do it unapologetically. And to be fair, most people who live this way, they also add, right? As long as it's not hurting anyone. Right? As long as it's not hurting anyone. But, but let me ask you this. Who defines what hurting is then? Why well, not hurting it? Well, really? And are you hurting yourself? Like who... Who, it, it, who, it's all relative. Who decides who's hurting? And if you've been married just for a little bit of time, you realize you're doing things that you thought was good for you, and somebody is hurting, and you had no clue until they said something, or two years later, it came out in a huge fight. And you got all these records of wrongs. And so this whole idea, this whole morality, I just do what makes me feel good as long as I'm not hurting anybody, really, you cannot be sure. Because who made you God and said that you can define what's hurting and what's not for somebody else? So... Others live by the mantra, follow your heart. That sounds good, doesn't it? Just follow your heart. Right? And I hear a lot of Christians, just follow your heart. What, what a terrible, what terrible advice. Some, if there is a man or woman of God says, you know what, just follow your heart. It's like, you know, respectfully, I love you, but no, I can't do that. Follow your heart is not good advice. And as good as that may sound, the scriptures actually teach us, teach us that the heart is wicked. Right, so Jeremiah tells us your heart is wicked and deceitful. So if, if the Bible is true, where do you think your heart's going to go? And so if you're following your heart, you're going to walk into wickedness. You're going to walk into deception. Wow. 
right? And, and, and I love this scripture, right? But at the same time, I always hear it misquoted, like, you know, God will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, geez. I thank God he didn't give me the desires of my heart. Now, that is a scripture, but, but the idea is that is, as God is transforming you and conforming you into his image, right, your heart begins to, he gives you a new heart. There's a new creation. You're, you're born again through the spirit of God. And then in your new birth, you begin to crave and desire new things and the old appetites that begin to die. Yeah. And as God is doing that work in you, then you begin to follow that transformed, renewed heart. But God forbid you just follow this heart that wants things that God doesn't want for you. Are you with me? Everybody is doing it. Just do what makes you feel good. Follow your heart. But let me just say this. If right and wrong were defined on human terms, then really nobody knows. Right? Why? Because we change, don't we? opinions shift like nothing is certain anymore right I, I just you know the cultural climate that we're in right now I just you know I, I was actually watching a really interesting conversation a few comedians were having and they are beloved comedians I mean they are people that the people love them and they were they've made so much money and they would say man the, what the stuff that I did in the 80s and early 90s if I brought that same material right now there would be a riot what am I trying to say? Like, people change. Culture changes. Emotions shift. Things happen. And so if humanity determined right from wrong, then it would all be relative. And it would all be an ever-changing, ever-shifting understanding. And nobody would ever truly understand. So what's the Christian worldview? The Christian worldview teaches us that there is only one fundamentally reliable, coherent foundation for moral absolutes. And that's the law of God. So then, where does God get his morality? Right? Where does God get it? Well, because there is nothing that exists outside of himself that is greater than him. He gets it from himself. He gets it from himself. So when we read God's law, guess what? We're reading God. When we're reading about what he likes and we're reading about who he is and we're reading about what he expects. And this is so, so challenging and I understand it. I'm not going to yell. I'm going to say this. But this is challenging. If someone hates God's law or finds parts of his law repulsive, then in reality, they don't have a problem with his law. They have a problem with his person. There's something about him that they despise. And if you go deeper and you follow the tip of the iceberg, you begin to get to this deprived place that is in rebellion to God's word. To love God is to love his law. To love his law is to love him. And even though the law doesn't save, it does reveal God's goodness, who he is, his purity. You with me? Number three, the law reveals the reality of our struggle. Basically, Paul is saying, as a follower of Christ, the struggle is real. 
The struggle is real. Can I get amen? Is it real? Am I the only one struggling? Am I the only one that understands this fight and this battle between this nature inside of me that wants to come up and do the things that I don't want to do, but I still do them? Like the struggle is real, trying to serve God faithfully, trying to live in a culture and, and trying to avoid sin. Yet everywhere you go, everything you turn on and listen to, all the friends you hang out with, they continue to invite you into this what seems to be joyous beautiful like 24 7 party right it's all instagram it looks good in the pictures but when you go home it's not instagram and that's the world that you live in and we live in and you look at it and you think you're missing out and you think that you're not there and this struggle is real am i the only one that understands how real that struggle is i don't care how long you've been saved so if you've been saved for 50 years in this room you can't sit there and say it's not real because if you do, then you're not applying the gospel. Because as you grow in Christ, as you mature in Christ, you only understand how pervasive your sin is. In fact, some of you, you came to Christ and you're starting to realize, gosh, I'm way more sinful than I thought. And you're discouraged. But Paul here to tell you, no, that's a sign that you're moving in maturity when you start to go deeper and understand, man, oh, wretched man that I am. Isn't that the opposite of what psychology teaches and what this world teaches? Like, look in the mirror and just declare over yourself how wonderful you are. Right? Paul's like, no, I am wretched. I am a sinner. Right? I, and don't get me, I, I love positive speak, but, but not positive speak in the way that it's transformative. Positive speak cannot transform the heart. So don't stop. But I'm just saying, don't be oblivious to the reality that the struggle is real. And this is where I made note of it. I'm so proud of our church. And these past few weeks, we have been boldly confronting sin. Boldly. And as we finish this challenging section of Romans together, I want to leave us with these three encouraging truths, okay? So here's what I want to do. Now that we beat you up with the law, right? Now that I've cut you open and you're battered and bruised, I want to apply the balm of the gospel the beautiful healing ointment of the gospel that will empower you to live in a way that you never thought you could. The beautiful healing ointment of the gospel that will relieve the pain of the law that has exposed your sin. And you're in here and you're kind of like, ah. Come on. Come on. Three encouraging truths from the final verses of chapter 7. And here's the first one. Are you ready? And, you know, this is just like me. I'm going to phrase this in a way it's not going to sound very encouraging. But trust me, it'll get encouraging. Here it is. Number one, are you ready for it? As long as a believer lives in the flesh, we'll always be bound to this fallen nature. But that's encouraging, isn't it? Like as long as a believer is alive and breathing and living in this flesh, there is a bottom, a bedrock place that we cannot run away from. We are all in a fallen nature. And the doctrine of sin tells us that nobody can put their nose up in the air and act like you're not. That's not encouraging, Phil. Remember, remember, remember inside of us all is a fallen nature that can best be described. I heard John Piper say this, and I love this. Ready? Write this down. Remaining sin. There's a lingering remaining sin. In fact, there's a story. World War II, a decisive blow has been dealt to Hitler 
but yet you still have soldiers marching through these defeated territories, still bombing and going after pockets of resistance. Do you hear this? Are you hearing this? That means that the enemy has been defeated. The head has been, de- has been decapitated. The war is over. There's victory. Yet skirmishes are still happening regularly. That is how we describe where we're at at this time as Christians. Christ has stomped on the serpent's head. The final battle has been won. He has took on all your punishment. He has given you all his righteousness. You are moving and growing in righteousness. You're moving further from sin. You're moving closer to holiness. But my gosh, there is still a remaining sin in there that just keeps creeping up. And so John Piper will call that remaining sin bunkered down in the dark corners of your heart maybe i'm just preaching to myself the truth is are you ready until we get to heaven we'll never fully overcome sin that's dangerous to say because i can give you license in this room but trust me i got some words for you so how in the world is that encouraging right it's not encouraging to know that i still have sin how is that encouraging Don't be discouraged if you're not perfect and if you're still finding yourself at times falling into sin. As awkward as that may sound, it's encouraging to know that even the Apostle Paul says, I struggle too. Do you hear what the Apostle Paul is saying? In fact, you know, there is, people were so concerned about this particular portion of text that there was like this debate whether, no, he's not, Paul's not talking about himself. Paul's just talking about someone else who's still bound, but if you read the text and if you go through it, like it's undeniable that Paul is giving his testimonies. And you know what's so crazy? Can I go here? Here we go. Okay, thank you. Here's when I go. A lot of times we go to Connect. Connect group leads, this is for you. Man, don't live in your own righteousness. And that's a struggle for me every week. Because a lot of times when we're trying to think, okay, I don't, you know, I want, I want people in this room to be honest and be open. I want us to share our struggles, right? And we share our struggles and one of two things happen. The leader goes first and the leader tells you, oh man, I tried to fast the last couple of weeks, but the enemy's been attacking me. He's like, wow, that's your struggle. You know, like uh, I, I fasted nine instead of 10 days, right? Like way to be hiding in your own righteousness there, right? And so we, we, we give some weak struggle or how about this? We talk about a struggle we had 10 years ago. And I go there too sometimes, right? Like, oh man, I struggled with this like five years ago, right? Like there's that little caveat just to let everybody know like that used to be me. It's like I'm kind of honest, but I'm not fully honest. No? All right. I'll, I'll get back on my soapbox. Right? So it's even a battle for us leaders and us to not live in our own righteousness, to be honest, to be real. But Paul, (laughs) Paul says, what does he say? He says, man, he says, I do the things right now that I hate. The things that I want to do, I don't do. What are those things? I want to live for God. I want to live in his righteousness. I want to live for his law. He says, but the things I don't want to do, sin, I hate, and I do. Oh, man, I don't know about y'all, but that was encouraging to me this week, just reading through that. Maybe you guys aren't sinners. Number two, as long, are you ready for this second encouragement? Here we go. Number two, are you ready for this? As long as a believer lives in his flesh, we'll always be engaged in ongoing warfare. Warfare will never end. In fact, the biblical Sabbath rest, really in its reality, will only truly be experienced in heaven. You know what rest is? The battle with sin will be over. Wow. When we 
When we enter into the kingdom of God, into eternity with Jesus, all remaining pockets of sin will be totally destroyed, and we will have true rest. Rest from needing to be right. Come on, sinners. Rest from pride and ego and hiding and trying to look like something you're not and covering up. Rest. Rest. As long as the believer lives in this flesh, though, we're not resting, y'all. We are fighting. We will always be engaged in ongoing warfare. Now, what does waged warfare against sin look like in the life of a believer? Now, I really want it to be intentional here because some of you in here, if I tell you you're going to have remaining sin, you're like, oh, I can sin. Right? It's always, it's always there. Like, oh, that means I can be in my sin. You know, I'm good, God. But remember, as you go back to this, that's not what Paul is saying. And so what does it look like when you're waging war? This is going to be so important. This is going to be so important. I'm going to give you what it looks like, how you know you're waging war with sin. And we can actually find that. And just we're going to use two phrases in verse 15. Two phrases in verse 15. Number one, first phrase is this. This is how I know I'm engaged in warfare with sin. Are you ready? When I do fall to sin... When my fallenness, my remaining sin nature comes out, verse 15 says, Paul says, I do not understand my own actions. I don't understand it. Uh, uh, in other words, I don't get it. Like, why am I still here? Why, why is the lower defeated nature still wielding power and influence over my life? I don't know about you, but have you ever been there? Have you ever said those things in frustration and confusion and disgust with yourself? I have. And believe it or not, the existence of this kind of frustration and tension inside of you is evidence that a new man is emerging and engaging in warfare over sin. Have you ever been confused, frustrated, and upset because you fell? Don't be alarmed. Don't be down. Know that your new self is emerging and that remaining sin, they are going to war. And Paul tells you that is evidence that Christ is doing something in you. It's when you're not frustrated by it. It's when you're not confused by it that there's a problem. Two phrases. Number one, Paul says, I don't understand. Paul continues in verse 15. I love this. I love this part. Thank you, Paul, for writing this. Really, Thank you, Holy Spirit, for writing this through Paul. He says, for I do not do what I want. I, I, you know what he's saying? I have a desire to do the law. But I do the very thing that I hate. I hate sin. I want you to think of the dichotomy of those two words, want and hate. What indicators of strong desire and affection? Listen, evidence that a believer is waging ongoing warfare with their sin nature is the fact that their affections for sin are changing y'all hear me evidence is that what you used to love and what you used to enjoy you're, you're man why do i like that no more 
Like, why do I feel the spirit inching me away? And I'm not just like, no, no, but like, I'm like, you know what? Yes. Like, I don't like that. Like, what is it inside of me that is attracted to that? How, you know, I look at myself and I used to be all into that. I loved it. I, 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 there was nothing wrong with it. But man, now that I'm at Christ, it's kind of irritating a little bit, but I'm confused. But then my desires are changing. I look back and say, man, I don't even like that. Paul admits, I still sin, but I hate it. And you know why I like this part. Paul says, I still sin, but I hate it. I can't stand it. I want nothing to do with it. Let me ask you guys, does that describe your relationship with sin? Are you broken over it or are you boasting about it? Are you remorseful or are you celebrating it? And it, it, I have to be honest, as a pastor... It grieves my heart when I see professing Christians glorifying their sin on social media. And we all just put it out there now. You know what I mean? Like before, it's like, oh, we want our privacy. You don't want your privacy, right? And that's okay. Like that's what you want. You do you, even though that's not a good way to live. But, but man, I just think to myself, man, you just don't profess yourself to be dying to sin and a follower of Christ if you are celebrating it, lifting it up, exposing it for all to see and acting like it is the beautifulest thing, the greatest time. Paul says, no, an evidence that I am changing. It's not that I'm not sinning, but when it does happen, I, I hate it. I don't celebrate it. I don't go and talk to my boys about it and brag about it. Are you with me? But I hate it. I hate it. I can't stand it. I, I don't have a love or a taste for it, but yet I, I do it. That's what Paul's saying. Phil, when are you going to encourage us? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, these are not the actions of a believer engaging in ongoing warfare. The encouragement is remaining sin is there. When you do fall, know that that's there. But the, also the other part of this is that there, when there's tension and there's frustration and there's warfare, that's also good. Amen. Yeah. It's when it's not there that you know that, there's, that the, the spirit of God is not regenerating your heart. And that's the time where the law no longer becomes this life-giving agent, but this condemning witness against you. And that's why we hate God's law, right? Because if we're not following God, all it does is condemn us. And we need the spirit of God to open up our eyes to see that's why salvation is not something that you can do. Only the Holy Spirit can open your eyes, which is why you can come in here week after week and sit under the message and leave more angry or more frustrated. But the reality is the Holy Spirit has to do something in you because there's nobody in here that wants to look at the law and, and embrace it. We all want to run from it. So here's the key. Don't be discouraged when sin frustrates you. And you can't stand it. <laughs> Don't be discouraged by your struggle. The real problem is not that warfare exists, but if it's not there. You ready for this? Warfare is a sign of new life. Warfare. If you're warring right now, you may be falling, but you're warring. You hear me? You may be falling, but you're warring. I want to speak encouragement to you. Warfare is a sign that the new man is emerging and the old man is being pressed down. There's a warfare going on inside of you. You with me? You with me? Number three, you guys are doing great. As long as we make the gospel central, even though we may sin, our identity is not in our sin, but it's in Christ. 
I don't know if you caught this, but Paul makes this statement twice. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, right? Paul's not saying the devil made me do it. It's not a cop out here. It sounded a little bit, right? It's like, really, what are you saying, Paul? Like, not me. That was sin, right? It's not a cop out. He's not escaping accountability. Paul is saying my desire and affection for God's law and against sin is evidence that my new life in Christ, right? But my inability to live out perfectly reveals that the remaining sin is still there. You guys see that? So evidence that I'm having a new life in Christ is warfare against sin, but also evidence, right, that there's remaining sin still inside of me is this inability to live that out perfectly. You see the tensions there? Not easy to be a Christian. As a result, in Christ, as a result, in Christ, whenever I do sin, I am contradicting my new identity, right? Now when I sin, I recall who I am in Christ. I remember, right? When I sin, I remember it's not who I am. I am new. I'm a new creature, and I repent. What do I repent of? I repent of acting contrary to my new nature. I'm going to conclude here. A sign, are you ready, that we are maturing in our faith and growing as disciples. Hear me out. A sign that we are maturing in our faith and growing as disciples of Christ is the ability to identify the depths of our sin, repent of those sins, and then believe the gospel. That's a sign. A sign that I am growing and maturing in Christ is the ability to identify the depths of my sin, to repent of those depths and believe the gospel. You with me? There's an illustration that I'm not even sure if I gave it here, and it's not my illustration. I actually took it from somebody else, so no credit to me, Um, but it's an amazing illustration, and I went over it with some of the leaders that I'm working with and some of my uh, individuals that I'm going through a discipleship with, and so there's going to be some of you in this room, you've heard this before, Um, But I want to really expose everyone to it just to kind of bring this idea home of maturity, being able to identify the depths of your sin, to repent of that, and then to uh, preach the gospel. And I've talked about this before to yourself, to believe the gospel. Um, I want you to imagine... You're, it's a family day and, or, you know, and you're hanging out at the beach. And if you have children, you have your kids there, you have brothers, sisters, you're out there, whoever you're with. And just imagine it's a beach day with people that you love. And you're at the beach and you're in the water and you're riding the waves. You're having a great time. And you notice kind of off to the distance, kind of floating, um, um, there's what looks like to be maybe a seagull or some driftwood. You know how it is out there. It's just kind of off in a distance. You don't know really it is, but you notice that it's floating and, and it's kind of mo- the waves are kind of moving in a, a little bit closer. Um, but as this driftwood, you know, gets closer, and I'm just imagining this to myself, you know, I got P3 with me and we're just having a good time. And, but did you notice this driftwood is moving closer? It, wait, it's not floating, but it's kind of darting. And you're like, wait a minute, wood? They don't doesn't drift like that. Um, it's not drifting at all. In fact, um, it's not even driftwood or seal. It's like, it looks like a triangular shaped darting thing. And you suddenly realize that's not driftwood at all. It's not even a seagull. I don't know who would call that a seagull, but 
That's a shark. Any Shark Week fans in here? So all of a sudden, your mind is all over the place. Um, you're grabbing your kids. You're letting everybody know. You're yelling shark because here's, here's what you know. When you see the triangle, it's not the triangle that you're afraid of, but it's the ferocious, formidable, bloodthirsty beast underneath that triangle. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Like under the fin, like controlling the fin, it's not a fin at all. It's this ferocious, this ferocious beast. And this illustration is so helpful for us to understand sin. You see, the law helps us to see that what's underneath the surface is something way more ferocious, way more formidable than we could ever imagine. Yet, many of us still deal with sin like it's only a fin. We still deal with sin like it's only a fin. So here's what we do. God, I'm sorry. And guess what? We repent of the fin, but we never deal with the shark. Wow. And again, this isn't just me. This is something that was passed to me, but I'm passing it to you. We repent of the fin all day long. You want to know why we repent of the fin? Even in our marriages, we repent of the fin, right? We repent of the fin because if we can repent of the fin, we can repent of what we can see, we can move on from it. We don't have to deal with it deeply. We could, let's just get things to normalcy. Have you ever did that? Like, have you ever just, let, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right? And the reason why you're doing that is because you just want to get back to normalcy, right? You don't like what it's causing. But we do that in our life with Christ. We repent of the fin. I'm sorry, God, that I am doing this behavior, that I said these words. And it's all externals and it's all stuff on top. But God is calling the follower of Christ to learn to identify what's deeper and to, and to repent of that. To repent of the thing that's controlling the fin, the real killer. And to kind of bring this home in our prayer. I know we're a little over time, but this is so important. Uh, I'll use a good example, maybe in an everyday life, maybe my wife and I having conversations, having arguments, um, me saying things like i said she's a great listener she's slow to speak right i'm fast to speak i process are there anybody in here that processes out loud and so when you talk or you argue you say words right you say these words but you didn't mean these words i remember one day somebody told me hey philip i made steaks for them and they said man these steaks are so watery and I got so offended, only to realize that they were actually meaning juicy, which is good, right? Like, right, when you're processing through things, it's just not always the same, right? But nonetheless, you know, my wife and I are having an argument, and I'm kind of debating out loud, and she's quiet, and I can see a little twinge in her eye, and I, her lip a little. I know it's not going to a good place. The further and further I go, it's getting worse, right? I remember later on because, you know, it just gets weird in the house, right? And your heart's all over the place. If you're like me, you know, you're, you're everywhere. You're in yourself, you know? So, like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent. You know, we sit down. And you're like, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm sorry I said that. And sorry you got angry. I didn't mean to hurt you in that way. And I'm sorry, you know, for those words. And, 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 and they're looking at you and it's like, wait, I'm not, I'm not getting it. And here's, here's what we understood the fin didn't hurt my wife it was the ferocious shark that bit her and what i really needed to repent of is i disrespected you i didn't trust your opinion i didn't listen with my heart 
I stomped on your thoughts. I didn't give your heart an opportunity to speak to me. I didn't hear what I was really hurting. And so I just apologize for this because I wanted this to be okay. But I didn't sit in this. Are you with me? And so as we grow in Christ, so we grow in our understanding of the gospel and the beauty of forgiveness, we also grow in the awareness of our, the depths of our sin. And we learn to repent, not just of the fins, but of the ferocious, formidable, controlling sharks underneath the fin. And this is the last thing I'll say. I know I said that. I'm a preacher. But this is the last thing I'll say is there's a lot of us in here. Our behavior's changed. So we think we've overcome something. But the shark is just manifesting itself in a different way. You just exchange fins. And so you think, oh, I escaped the bondage of addiction. But yet you're addicted to something completely. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, well, I don't, I don't do this anymore. But yet it, it, the, the shark is still manifesting itself in something else. So the reality is it's not the fin. But it's that shark that we have to deal with. And so here's, go beyond the fin. Repent of the shark. And then remember that at the bottom of it all, there's this remaining sin that you'll constantly be at warfare with. And if you understand those things about sin, you'll understand your new life in Christ and you'll begin to move in the gospel, which brings holiness. Amen. Amen. I want to really quickly just flash up on the screen and we'll keep them up there. This week, I love taking our questions. I love taking our messages and being able to dialogue with our group in Hayward. If you're fact, in fact, if you're looking for a group, we'd love to see you at our place on Tuesdays. But we have such a beautiful dialogue. We're so honest and so real. And so this week, I'm going to give you the questions. I'm going to pray and dismiss. This week in our Connect groups, we'll, we'll be discussing these two questions. Number one, give an example of how the law helped you see that your sin was deeper than you realized. And then number two, how does your struggle with sin look similar to the one Paul describes? And how do you see your old self and new self at war with one another? Again, you got to be ready to go deep. And again, if you don't want to talk, you're just shy, you want to listen for a while, that's fine too. But we love to dig deeper because we really believe that these conversations, the Holy Spirit's working through it to sanctify us in new life. And so you're all invited this week. And Heavenly Father, we love you. And I'm just so thankful for a church that will go through weeks of, of ferociously battling sin and confronting it and applying it and, and allowing your word to, your sharp two-edged sword of a word to to cut and to and to to do surgery but also the beautiful gospel of jesus christ to come in and bring rest and healing and peace and love and joy so lord will you take this word and do what only you can do in our hearts holy spirit will you do with it what only you can do we love you bless this week's connects may your spirit be all over them and may we come back here together to love and to worship you next sunday as a family again we ask these things in jesus matchless name we pray amen 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 and great job family i love you have a wonderful sunday we'll see you this week joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. 
You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.